thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. Well, last week we started a new section in 1 Corinthians where Paul is answering questions about Christian liberties. Uh, and as we looked at the, the first issue that Paul answers questions about is a, an example of whether or not to eat meat sacrificed to idols. But we noted that's just the example. But the important thing that Paul brings out is a very important principle when it comes to Christian liberties. And that principle is knowledge must be balanced by love. Our knowledge of the Christian liberties that we have must be balanced with a love for brothers and sisters in Christ who don't have that knowledge of that liberty. We should never put our liberty before our love for other believers. So if your liberty is causing others to stumble, then you should love them enough not to do that liberty, not to partake of that in front of them. Well, now here in chapter 9, Paul's going to continue dealing with this issue of Christian liberties, but he's now going to give us a, a different example. We had, you know, meat sacrificed to idols, should you eat it or not, or are you able to eat it or not? And now Paul's going to give us a much more uh, personal example, um, and, and he's going to keep this principle of knowledge must be balanced by love, uh, but he's going to expand that even broader, because here uh, in, in chapter 8, we kind of had it focused just on... On believers, and here in chapter 9, we're going to see that Paul is also going to include unbelievers in this principle as well. Uh, and so Paul's going to share something here, and, and really the example that he's going to bring out is the fact that he is at liberty to receive financial or material compensation from the Corinthian believers for the fact that he invests in them spiritually. He has that liberty, and so he's going to be focusing on that at the beginning. He's going to build a case for why he's at liberty to have this, and then he's going to go on to share why he has given up that liberty uh, for them. And so uh, we're going to see this. I think it's a important thing that um, Paul reveals to us here. And so um, just like last week, the main point of the chapter is not the example, it's more of the principle, but the thing that we're really going to see different in this chapter is that principle expounded uh, and broadened to focus on those who are lost. And so Paul's going to start chapter 9 with five convincing reasons for why he is at liberty to receive, and he has a right to receive compensation uh, to be supported by the Corinthians. Now, if you've ever wondered, you know, why you or someone else should support those who minister to you, why you should tithe uh, to the church that's investing in you, these five reasons that Paul's going to give are going to be good things to answer those questions that you might have asked. Uh, but that's not really the main point. The main point is building a case that he's at liberty so that he can go on to say, I've given this liberty up for your um, sake. So let's see the first convincing reason that Paul gives us for why he is at liberty to be supported by the Corinthians starting chapter 9 verses 1 and 2 says this, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. 
The first reason that Paul gives here for why he has the liberty to be supported by the Corinthians is because of his apostleship, the fact that he is an apostle. Now, this should have been something that was obvious to anyone, especially the Corinthian believers, but the fact that Paul starts with this kind of reveals that there was a, a group there, or maybe a large group there, that maybe wasn't really convinced uh, in his apostleship that he truly was an apostle. And so he starts off wanting to kind of make sure they understand understand that that truly is something that he is. And so he asked several questions, uh, and four of them to be precise. The answer of all of these questions is yes. Am I an apostle? Yes, I am. Am I not free? Yes, I am. Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Yes, I have. Well, when did Paul see Jesus? Remember on the road to Damascus, he's met Jesus in person. That is when he was ultimately called to the ministry that he had. So Paul's reminding these Corinthians, hey, I meet the qualifications of someone who is an apostle. I've, I've seen the Lord. He's called me to this position of apostleship. But he says, you know what? There's something that's even more important than this. And that's the next question that he asks. He says, are you not my work in the Lord? You guys of everyone should know my apostleship. Just look at what the Lord has done through me into your life. You guys are that reality. You should recognize that. He actually goes on to say, you're the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Those who question my apostleship, I point them to you. I point them to the work God's done in you. And it just reveals the reality that I truly am in this role. And so now that he's kind of laid out this case that he is an apostle, that's not the main point. The main point is now he's going to go on to say why he has the right or liberty to be supported by these Corinthian believers. Notice what he says in verses 3 through 6. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife as do also the other apostles, the brother of the Lord and Peter? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Here Paul asks three specific questions. And with each one of these questions, he's building this case of of why he as an apostle is at liberty to receive support from the Corinthians. The first question is, do we have no right to eat and drink? Now the question is not, Am I not at right to actually survive by eating and drinking? The the question is, do I not have right to eat and drink at the expense of you guys? What he's ultimately saying is, isn't I, am I not at right that you would take care of my practical needs, that I need food, that I need, you know, these things. And so because I'm ministering to you, don't I have the right that you would take care of that for me? The second question Paul asks is, do we have no right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Peter? Once again, it's not a question of whether or not the Corinthians would care if he had a wife with him. The point is, aren't I at liberty not only to be supported personally, but also to have my wife and family supported as well because of investing you? Hey, Peter's uh, supported. The the other apostles are supported by their churches. Their families are supported. So, So why is it that you guys don't feel that, you know, he and Barnabas have that right? The third question that Paul asks gets even more to the heart of it. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working. With this question, Paul's helping the Corinthians see something very important. Most of the other apostles were supported full-time by the churches that they ministered to. Paul and Barnabas, on the other hand, had no support from the Corinthians and worked another job so they could support themselves. And he's just throwing out this, aren't we, don't we have the right 
to just invest in you full time and you guys take care of our needs as we do that, just like Peter does, just like James does, just like the other apostles do. What Paul wants to make clear with these questions is, hey, I am an apostle, and I also have the right as an apostle to be supported by those that I minister to. So the first reason that Paul gives for why he should be supported is because of his apostleship. He builds this case. Apostles have the right to be supported by those that they invest in. Well, now he's going to give us a second reason why he should be supported. Verse 7 says this, Whoever goes to war at his own expense who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruits, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock. The second reason that Paul gives for why he is at liberty to receive support from the Corinthians is just human experience. He says, hey, you know, this is just a natural thing that, that we see. The first question is, whoever goes to war at his own expense? Think about that. What soldier signs up for the military and, you know, they say, you know what, you need to pay for your own gun, your own camouflage, your own plane ticket to go to Iraq or wherever you're going. No, the the military takes care of those things. You sign up for it and you serve in the military and then they pay for you doing that. So he's just saying, you know, what soldier does this on their own? No, as they serve the military, the military provides for their needs. That's just a, a human experience that we have. The next one he brings up is, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit. Any farmer who plants a vineyard, whether it's grapes or anything else, you know, he doesn't just plant it and never touch it. He he eats of it. It's something that supports him. You know, he's done all this work to invest in this vineyard, and now he's able to receive support from it. The third question is, who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? A shepherd who takes care of sheep, benefits by getting the milk from the sheep. He receives something because he is investing in serving the sheep and the sheep in turn are supporting him and enabling him to live by giving him the milk. So Paul is communicating with these three questions that human experience shows that we should be supported by those things that we serve and invest in. A soldier, a farmer, a shepherd, they're all supported by the things or the people that they serve or work for. So the point that Paul's making here is, hey, if all these other people are supported, if human experience shows us that, then surely me as an apostle have the right to be supported by you Corinthians. So the first reason Paul gives us of why he should be supported is his apostleship. The second reason is human experience, but he's going to give several more just in case they miss this point. Verses 8 through 11. Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same thing also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen that God is concerned about? Or does he say that altogether for our own sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and that he who threshes in hope should be partakers of this hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? You know, there might have been people who say, you know what, Paul, you know, human experience, we're Christians here, we don't buy into that stuff, we need something more spiritual, and say, it's fine, human experience isn't a good enough reason for you, let me give you a spiritual reason. What does the law of God say concerning receiving support from those that you invest in? And so Paul's going to build this case that the law teaches this as well, and so the third reason Paul gives for why he should be supported is because of the law. Paul says, it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Now, back in the days of Moses, when the law was written, 
oxen, they would walk across, they would crush the grain, they were used ultimately to, to gather the grain, and you know, farmers would ultimately take this to, you know, support themselves, but what they would do because they wanted more of this grain is that they would muzzle the ox. So the ox can't eat. Obviously, if he's trampling on this, all this grain's right below him. He's doing all this work. He's getting hungry. He's going to want to eat. And so they'd muzzle the ox to keep him from eating. But there was a law that says, hey, don't muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. Ultimately, if he's doing all this work, he deserves to receive the benefits of his work. And he deserves to be able to eat some of that grain that he's ultimately uh, helping prepare. Uh, now, Paul brings out something very important here as he asks this question. He says, is God concerned about oxen or does he say this for us as people? And the answer is for our sakes, no doubt. This is written. See, the principle, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, is more important than just providing for the need of oxen. Paul's saying God wrote that to say, hey, if he cares about oxen that much, how much more people? If, if that's a law for oxen, then definitely it's a law for those who invest in others. That God is establishing the principle that those who work have a right to be supported by those that they work for. You should expect if you put in a day's work that you're going to get something back from investing and doing that by the, for them, from the person that you're doing the work for. And so Paul kind of comes to a conclusion on this point in verse 11, uh, where he says, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? The point Paul is making is the law is clear that those who sow should reap from that which they've sown into. So we're sowing spiritually into you. Is it something that is, you know, far-fetched that we would expect that you could, uh, we would reap material blessings in order to pay for our lifestyles and, you know, be able to live and continue to work and do ministry among you? We're going to skip verse 12 for a moment and come back to it because here Paul gives us why he's doing this. But I want to continue with his, you know, he's got a couple more reasons uh, to give us for why he's uh, free to receive support. And so the first reason is apostleship, second, human experience, third, the law. The fourth reason is in verse 13. He says this, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Here Paul brings up the fourth reason of why, if they haven't got the first three, if it hasn't sunk in, okay, well, how about this, guys? The priests that God has established over the nation of Israel, how is it that they lived? If you remember when all the 12 tribes were divided up, the tribe of Levi, they didn't get what everyone else got. Well, how are they going to survive? Well, because they were doing the work of the Lord and they were doing spiritual service. God made it so all the other 11 tribes would come and they would have to provide, you know, the, the priest would get some of the food of the offerings and they would provide uh, an actual tithe to help the priest live. And so the rest of the nation of Israel provided for the priest to be able to live and, and continue to do the spiritual service for the nation. And so Paul's saying, hey, if in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, the priests were supported by the nation of Israel, surely under the New Testament and the New Covenant of grace, that those who invest spiritually into the lives of the people can expect to be supported by them. Well, now Paul leaves the fifth and final reason, the most important reason of all, to the end. If they haven't got it from everything else, hopefully this will build his case the most. Verse 14 says this, even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live 
from the gospel. The fifth reason that Paul gives for why he is at liberty to be supported by the Corinthians is because Jesus commanded it. If all the other reasons they want to say, well, we don't really care about them, this one should be the one that would hit the hardest. But when did Jesus command that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel? Well, if you remember, there were two times in the gospels where Jesus sends his disciples out. First it's the 12, and then it's the 70. And both times he gives them a command, and I want you to note what both those commands were. When he sends out the 12 in Matthew chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, he says this, Provide neither gold, nor silver, nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor tunic, nor sandal, nor staff. Don't take any of those things. Those are the things that you would provide for yourself with. For a worker is worthy of his food. When he sends out the 70, he says to them in Luke 10, 7, And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Jesus, when he sends out the disciples, the 12 and the 70, he gives them a specific command of, hey, you know what? When you go, I want you to be supported by those that you're ministering to. So don't bring all this stuff that you can support yourself with. Just go, and when you get there, stay in that house. Let them take care of you because a laborer is worthy of his wages. A worker is worthy of his food. As you pour into them spiritually, you should expect that they take care of your practical needs. Jesus is sharing that as he sends them out. And so Paul is bringing up the really most convincing reason of all. If you don't accept any of the other ones, Jesus is the one who ultimately laid down this clear reality that when you invest spiritually in others, you should be able to expect them to be able to support you in that. So in these first 14 verses, Paul lays out five powerful and persuasive reasons for why he's at liberty to receive support from the Corinthians. His apostleship, human experience, the law, the priests were supported, and Jesus commands it. So if you've ever wondered, you know, why should I tithe? You know, why should I give to a ministry? Well, Paul lays out five good reasons for why you should do that. But don't miss his point. He's laying this out for a a point. And notice he's going to get to this, verse 15. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that it should be done so to me, for it would be better for me to die than anyone make my boasting void. Now, here's where Paul's doing He's spending this whole time, he builds this case, one reason, two reasons, three reasons, four reasons, five reasons, and then he goes on to say, you know what, I haven't used any of these reasons. All I needed to use was one of them. I haven't used any of these reasons to ask you to support me. I'm at liberty. I built this case that I'm totally at liberty for you to do this, but I have given up that liberty for you. And he, and he makes very clear as well, you know, I'm not telling you this now so that you'll start supporting me. I didn't share these five points so that you would feel guilty and be like, oh man, we should have been supporting Paul this whole time. We need to start. He's saying, I'm sharing this with you so that you recognize, because you obviously haven't recognized, that I am at liberty to do this, but I have given up that liberty for you. And so these five points aren't to convince them to support him, it's to convince them that he's at liberty to receive something that he has chosen not to. Now remember, this whole section is about you know, Christian liberties and loving other people enough to be willing to give up those liberties for their benefit. And now Paul's going to say, well, why would I do this? Why should I give up a liberty like this to be supported by you? You know, What's the point? Well, we're going to come back now to verse 12 where he lets us know. Nevertheless, we have not used this right or this liberty, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. 
Here Paul gives us the reason why. Why is it so important to him? Why would he say, I'll give up this liberty, this right that I have? Well, he says, here's the main reason. I do not want my liberty to receive financial uh, benefits from you to in any way hinder the gospel. And so I have chosen to put that liberty aside so that the gospel would be in no way hindered at all. You see, in Corinth, just like we have today, there are a lot of people in the church there for the wrong reasons. A lot of people in the church just there to get your money. And so Paul knew, you know, within the culture there, there was this thought that, oh, you know, you're just here for my money. You're not really here, you know, to invest in me and benefit me in any way. And so he says, you know what? I don't want to be that guy that you think I'm just here to take your money and that you miss the most important message of all, the gospel in the midst of it. You know, when I went to Scotland, I could relate to here what you know, what Paul is saying here because, you know, there in Scotland, it was a very much the, the, the church culture was give me money, give me money, give me money. You know, uh, elders' main responsibility when you miss church was to come and knock on your door, not to say, how are you doing? Are you not feeling well? It was give me your tithe. You didn't show up on Sunday. We need your tithe. That, that's all they con- were concerned about. And so, you know, when I came there, there was this mindset of, hey, you know, the church is just out for your money. And so it was a great thing, one, that we didn't pass around a plate. That was very foreign to them. But also, I didn't take a salary because I was supported by churches in the States. And so both of those things were very uh, much helpful in sharing the gospel because that issue was a big hindrance for people. And Paul's saying, you know what, if this is something that is going to hinder or stumble someone from coming to know the gospel, I'm going to give up this liberty because the gospel going out is by far more important to me. Notice what goes on to say in verses 16 through 18. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will I have been entrusted with a stewardship, what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Paul brings out this reality that, hey, you know what? I don't preach the gospel for the, the money. I, I preach it because I've been called to preach it. It's necessity has laid it upon me. You know, I wish there was more Christians who, who felt this way that, you know, there, there's this burning desire within me that I am called by God to preach the gospel and I'm going to do it no matter what. It's not what I can get from it, but I'm going to do it because people need to hear the message. Paul was driven by that. He said, no, no, it's not because you could give me something that I do it. You know, I would do it no matter what because God has called me. My boasting isn't that I preach the gospel. My boasting is in the fact that I do it free of charge so that no one gets stumbled by it, so that everyone can hear it and hopefully accept it. Well, now Paul's going to reveal really his whole life is about giving up liberties that he has in order to reach people with the gospel. And so we're broadening this perspective because last week it was really like, you know what, if you stumble another believer in Christ, then give up your liberty, which you should. Paul's bringing it out. You know what? It's bigger than that. Your whole life should be lived in such a way that if there's any liberty that you have that would hinder the gospel going forth, hinder people accepting it, then you need to get rid of that liberty. Notice how he talks about his life. Verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law. 
not being without law toward God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I have became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be be partakers of it with you. Notice this thing that Paul keeps saying, that I might win, that I might win, that I might win people to the gospel. Though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. Paul brings up, hey, I'm free from all men. I don't, I don't have to go around doing this. I'm not, you know, something that, you know, I have to serve. I, I've given up a liberty. And I'm going to spend my life investing in people. Paul's revealing that this principle of knowledge must be balanced by love is something that really governed his life. His love for people is something that really directed how he would live. And he gives several examples. To the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews. Now, remember when we went through the book of Acts, we saw examples of Paul doing these things. Acts chapter 21, Paul participates in a Jewish purification ceremony. He knew he didn't have to do it. He knew he wasn't bound by it. He knew it didn't make him closer to God for it. But he didn't do it for those reasons. He did it because he thought, you know what? If I do this, it will open up doors for these Jews who really feel so important that this ceremony is so important for me. Well, you know what? I'll do it for them. I'll do it to open up a door to the gospel for them. I'll give up a liberty where I can say, I don't need to do this purification ceremony. It doesn't bring me closer to God. I don't have to do that. Well, all those things are true, but I'm going to do it anyway because I want to reach these people. And so I'm willing to give this up in order to do that. To the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews. He goes on to say, to those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. If you remember in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Timothy both have to make a decision. It's a worse decision on Timothy. And Timothy is half Jew, half Gentile. They're going to minister to Jews, but Timothy's not circumcised. And Paul recognizes something. Timothy, you're at complete liberty to not be circumcised. It's not going to get you closer to God. It's not part of your salvation. But let me tell you this. You want to minister to these Jews? Not being circumcised is going to hinder you from doing it. Are you willing to take this step and get circumcised so that you can reach more people with the gospel? I'm going to challenge you to do that, Timothy. And Timothy responds by being willing to lay down a liberty, a, a, a painful one, that he says, all right, I'm going to take on circumcision when I don't have to in order to reach people who wouldn't listen to me unless I did. So once again, they, they lay down this liberty in order to reach people with the gospel. Ultimately, Paul says, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Paul wants us to realize, I give up as many liberties as I need to in order to save people. I want people to hear the gospel. That's what drives my life. And if I have to give up something in order to be more effective in that, then so be it. If one of Paul's rights or liberties was going to be a stumbling block to someone getting saved, he got rid of it. His philosophy was my liberty is not more important than their salvation. Unfortunately, people have taken this statement of Paul, I become all things to all men or to those who are without law as without law, and they've twisted it to mean something that Paul never intended it to mean. Warren Wiersbe says something uh, about this that I like. It's unfortunate that the phrase all things to all men has been used and abused by the world and made to mean what Paul did not intend for it to mean. Paul was not a chameleon who changed his message and methods with each new situation. 
nor was Paul a a compromiser who adjusted his message to please his audience. He was ambassador, not a politician. You know, there have been people who have taken this statement, you know, I become all things to all men to mean like, you know what, you, you just got to compromise biblical truth and you just become like people and hey, be like those without the law and just if you really want to reach a drug addict, use drugs. I mean, people have gone to some really weird extremes uh, from what this is saying, but Paul has never been saying, you know what, you need to compromise what you believe. He actually specifically says um, about being lawless, he says not being without law toward God, but under the law towards Christ. He was never saying you should go away from what is true, but he's talking about giving up liberties. You know, if any liberty, as we've already noted, will get in the way of the gospel going out, I'm willing to give up that. He's not saying I'm willing to give up biblical truth or I'm willing to compromise on on, on what is, is true in scripture. He's just saying there are liberties that don't compromise anything. And I'm willing to give those up in order to reach people with the gospel. So Paul is now broadening the principle of knowledge must be balanced by love. It's not just believers, which is very important. You don't want to stumble them. But even the bigger picture, you know, you stumble a believer, they're still going to heaven. You stumble an unbeliever and they don't accept the gospel ever in their life. That's something that's obviously of much more severity. So in this chapter, he's saying, lay down your freedoms and rights if they in any way hinder someone from accepting the gospel. Our love for believers and our love for unbelievers should be greater than our Christian liberties. And Paul demonstrates this with his own life. I'm willing to lay down anything that would get in the way of people coming to hear the gospel. Well, Paul finishes this chapter with one more important analogy to kind of drive home the point that he's making Verse 24 through 27 says this. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul concludes this chapter with this analogy of a sporting event that would have been very familiar there in Corinth. They had the Ithmus Games. It was, you know, uh, every two years, the Olympics were every four, but that uh, happened there in Corinth. And so, you know, Athletes running and racing, this was something that was big there. And so he uses this uh, to paint a picture for them. He says, you know, there are a lot of runners who run, but only one of them wins. Run in such a way that you're going to win. And don't just be content with running. Make sure you run for the goal, the goal of victory, the goal of, you know, being the one who wins the race. Paul is telling us to train, to complete, to compete as athletes who really want to win. But notice what he says. He says, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, this word temperate is is interesting. It's a word specifically used for these athletic games. It means to be self-controlled and to abstain from things that would hinder the pursuit of the goal. Think about that. To be self-controlled and to abstain from things that would hinder the pursuit of the goal. And this makes total sense. Any athlete, you think of the Olympics, they're constantly abstaining from things that in and of themselves aren't bad. They're not pounding down Whataburgers and other things that maybe we do. Why? Because they recognize, I'm trying to get in great shape so that I can win. 
And so there are going to be certain things that I'm not going to eat, even though I'm right to eat them. There's nothing wrong with eating them, but I'm not going to eat them because why? I have a goal. I have a goal to win. And so I'm going to feed myself certain things that are going to help, and I'm not going to feed myself certain things that would hinder me from that. You know, they could sleep in, but oftentimes they get up at the crack of dawn and they're out running or they're out exercising, they're out lifting weights. You know, they make sacrifices that they don't have to, but if they don't, it hinders them from the goal. And Paul's saying, okay, if there are people who are doing this for a perishable crown, all they're getting is really a a wreath, you know, made out of just, you know, um, vines and things. If they're willing to sacrifice all this for that, how much more we of those who run the race that God has given us should be willing to say, you know what? I'm going to not allow things that would hinder me from running the way that God wants me and the ultimate goal of bringing glory to him and reaching people with the gospel. If these people are willing to put aside, lay aside things that would hinder them, how much more should we be willing to say, you know what? If this liberty hinders me from reaching someone with the gospel, it's gone. If this liberty stumbles a brother or sister in Christ, it's gone. I I, I don't care enough about this liberty that I would keep it if it meant hindering someone else from growing in Christ or coming to Christ. We get an imperishable crown. We get something so much more than what they're running for. and should be so much more motivated to be willing to lay aside things that hinder us. I love what Hebrews 12.1 tells us. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In order to run that race that has been set before us, you know, the writer of Hebrews first says, we got to lay aside the things that would hinder us. And so often in the Christian life, we're not willing to do that. There are things that are sinful that we should obviously say we need to lay aside and get rid of, but there are things that are not sinful. There are liberties that we're free to do, but still sometimes hinder, stumble other believers, hinder the gospel from going out. And are we willing to say, you know what, in the race that God has given me, I will lay that aside, even though that I have the freedom to do it, I'm not going to do it. Why? Because knowledge must be balanced by love. I must allow my love for others to be something that drives me to be willing to let down, lay down this knowledge of this liberty that I have. So in this chapter, Paul uses his own life as an example of this great principle of knowledge must be balanced by love. His love for believers, his love for unbelievers came before his rights, came before his liberties, and he showed that. He didn't just say that. He proved it in the way in which he lived. He had the right to receive support from the Corinthians. He gave it up. He gave it up just in case any of them might not come to the gospel because of it. Hey, here's a liberty. I'm not going to take it. He had the right not to do certain Jewish ceremonies. He gave up those rights. Why? I want to reach more Jews. He had the right not to have Timothy circumcised, and he and Timothy both say, hey, you know what? I'm going to forfeit this liberty and right so I can reach people who are circumcised. He had the right and liberty to do a lot of things, but he gave up anything that would hinder his ability to reach people with the gospel. Yeah, we have a lot of freedom in Christ. It's a wonderful thing. But that freedom, that liberty, needs to be balanced not only by love, but by responsibility. We need to recognize, just because I have this liberty, doesn't mean I should always exercise it. Because there are times when I do exercise it, that it's a problem. 
because it causes someone to stumble or might hinder the gospel. And so I need to recognize just because I have the liberty doesn't mean it's always right to exercise the liberty. And I have to be willing to come to a place that says, you know what? I'm willing to lay it down if it's going to stumble someone. I'm willing to lay it down if it's going to hinder the gospel from going forth. And that is the challenge that Paul is bringing to us. But you know, Paul's not the ultimate example of this. He's a great example of it. But the ultimate example of this is Jesus. Jesus is the perfect example of someone who says, I love you enough that I'm willing to sacrifice the greatest liberties that you could comprehend. I love 2 Corinthians 8, 9. It says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Paul uses these terms rich and poor and it really doesn't do justice because he talks about Jesus being rich and we know that he wasn't rich in this life. Paul's referring to his riches in heaven, on the throne, in heaven, as he was worshipped and the, the angels and all these living creatures coming around. All those riches in heaven, he gave up. He laid aside so that he could come to this earth. He goes from the throne to the stable to be born as a helpless baby, to live a sinless life, ultimately to sacrifice his life on the cross. I mean, he's the greatest example of giving up the greatest liberty possible. Why? For his love for people. A verse that I'm sure most of you are very well familiar with, one of the most quoted verses in the Bible, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Here it's very clear. God's love for us caused him to give up what was most valuable to him, his own life. He sacrificed a liberty. He gave up himself. Why? Because he loves us. And as we think about this, and sometimes, well, you know what? I don't care if it's going to stumble them, or I don't care if it's going to hinder them. You know, where is the love in that? If we want to be more like Jesus, then we need to recognize Jesus was willing to lay down lots. He was willing to lay down his life for people. And too often we're so concerned about our rights and our liberties and our freedoms and we're not willing to say, you know what, I'm just going to lay this stuff down because it's not as important as the love that I should have to reach people who are lost or to help people grow who are saved. Jesus is the perfect example of this. And we're going to finish this morning as we do the first Sunday of the month, remembering. And I want us just to think and really remember, you know, what he has sacrificed, what he has given up. And if you're struggling with giving up any liberty in your life, remember what Jesus has given up for you. And also remember why. Because he loves you. That's the motive. That's why he did it. He wasn't forced to the cross. He could have stopped them at any moment. It was his love for us that ultimately brought him to that place where he willingly gave his life. So I'm going to have the worship team come on up. As the worship team leads us in a song, the communion elements are going to be passed out. And I just encourage you just to hold on to them. We'll we'll take them together. And as I mentioned every time, this is an open communion. If you have uh, asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, if you have asked him to come into your life and to save you, then this is open for you. We encourage you to do that. If you've never made that decision before, then I would just ask that you allow the communion elements to pass by. But I just want you to really just take some time as, as the worship songs being played, just to really reflect 
to think. And you know what? If there's some unconfessed sin in your life, I really want to challenge you. Confess it to the Lord. Get right with him. Ask for his forgiveness as we come to him now. But also just reflect on his love and what he has sacrificed for you and for me. And then I will come back up here and we will take these communion elements together.